0: check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. SF is a medical doctor who was on hiatus for six months before COVID began. He returned home and returned to work into a radically different system, with multiple COVID wards opening one after the other, PPE precautions changing by the day, and patients that he was in close contact with passing on faster than it could seem to count. On his worst day, 40% of his patients passed on.
1: So when I first heard about the virus, I was traveling around um, Far East. Um, So I was in, I think I was in Thailand when I very first heard about the virus. And just noticed this article in the BBC about a mystery virus killing two people in, in Wuhan in China, and I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. Obviously, as the situation evolved, I was moving through Asia, and actually, I was in South Korea when they had their first cases, and that was the first cases that were reported outside of China. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange time, and then. I then moved on to travel through Japan and whilst in Japan, Japan developed cases and then there was the whole incident with um, the, the cruise ship, I can't remember what it's called, the Princess Diamond cruise ship or something So that. So um, that was all unfolding while I was in Japan and then I flew to Australia and thought that, you know, I was out of Asia and that was going to be the end of it and then obviously the situation just escalated really, really quickly. So yeah, I, t- I guess technically I wasn't living anywhere at the time I heard about it, which made it even more bizarre, I suppose. I can't remember the exact date. It was it was probably like the middle of middle of December, uh, twenty nineteen. If I'm honest, this probably sounds um, slightly embarrassing in hindsight, but I really wasn't that worried about it when I first saw the situation unfolding because it seemed very localized to China initially. Um, and you know they put in kind of, I suppose, very strict containment measures within China itself. And yes there was a few countries where they identified a few cases but never did i think that it was going to evolve to become what it was you know whilst i was in korea and japan i had some family and some friends text me saying oh you are you worried about the virus because you know there's cases in these countries where you are and I, i completely downplayed it i said no not really like the case numbers are really small i think i'd be really unlucky to pick it up you know, it sounds like the vast majority of cases, you know, are mild infections anyway, and I'm, you know, young, fit and healthy. So really I, I wasn't worried. And then it was only when I was in Australia, the, the situation just really exploded. So in a, matter of, in a matter of two weeks, I went from not even thinking about it to having to book like, a, you know, a last minute flight home in a rush while all the countries were closing their borders to, you know, foreign visitors. Then it became scary because I was, you know, stuck in the other side of the world literally the other side of the world, uh, at a time when, you know, countries were closing their borders, flights were becoming very expensive, like everything was closing down. You know, the last few days when I was in Australia, all public buildings were forced to close, like restaurants were closed, it was just a bizarre situation. And then I got back to the UK. um, And at that time, I think the government here was still trying to downplay it a little bit. Uh, we were one of the last countries to to go into, a, I suppose, a kind of lockdown situation and the government were trying to, I suppose, portray this image that everything was going to be okay and that we should just continue lives our lives as normal. And so getting back to the UK, I was, I suppose, given this false sense of reassurance that everything was going to be all right because the government messaging was very, I suppose, um, different to what it was in other parts of the world. And then I think it was a week after I got back or 10 days after I got back or something, uh, the full country went into you know a strict lockdown and everyone was ordered to stay at home. And then I was faced with the prospect of having to, to go back to work after six months of not working um, in the middle of a pandemic, which was um, daunting to say the least. At the moment, the absolute case numbers are pretty high. So uh, in fact, Scotland at the moment has the highest incidence of coronavirus in Europe. Um, so uh, we're not actually doing that well. That's been attributed mainly to to the European Football Championships because it was the first tournament that Scotland had been in in like 25 years or something. So I think everyone went a bit wild and there was lots of mass gatherings. I think that was just a super spreader event, unfortunately. So yeah, there's lots of cases at the moment. What we're not seeing though is the same number of people being admitted to hospital and dying that we were seeing when we had kind of similar case numbers back in January. So. In fact, the case numbers now are even higher than they were in January. And yet we're seeing about 25%, 20% of the hospital admissions that we had at that time. So we're seeing a very different kind of phase in the pandemic, I suppose. And saying that, you know, we're still seeing people seriously unwell in the hospital. Um, I have to say the vast majority of them are people that are unvaccinated. It's not going away. I think that's very clear. Um, And we're going to continue to see people be hospitalised and sadly die with the virus for for the foreseeable future. Um, I think that's just an inevitability, unfortunately. From when the vaccination programme first started, so from, we were very early to start vaccinating people in the UK, so the middle of December really we started vaccinating. And from the middle of December until probably, well, when did the Delta variant first really become an issue? It was probably about May, the middle of May. So for that six month period, we basically didn't see anyone that had had a vaccine admitted to the hospital with COVID. I think that's, I I, I certainly don't recall seeing anyone that had a vaccine admitted to the hospital. Since the Delta variants came along, we have seen some people who have been vaccinated admitted to hospital, relatively small numbers in comparison to the number of people who are unvaccinated, but still some, and you know, even some people who have had Two vaccines who've been admitted to hospital pretty seriously unwell. Um, I don't have even seen one person die after having two vaccines. Uh, it's almost certainly the, the Delta variant that's causing this, without a doubt. So, uh, yeah, it's a, a different phase of the pandemic. It's a bit disconcerting that we're seeing vaccinated people becoming unwell. My life, personally, in lots of ways, like everyone really, I, I obviously was forced to come home from travelling. Um, so that was the most immediate impact. Yeah, I was away for six months when I was forced to come back um, and didn't really have a fixed date of when I was supposed to be coming back and was due to fly to Sri Lanka just a few days before I was forced to fly home. Sorry, a few days after I was forced to, I was forced to fly home. So um, yeah, it was open-ended. Um, so I was forced to come back from uh, from what was an open-ended trip. After being away from home for six months, um, I obviously hadn't seen friends or family for a very long time. I had a new niece who'd just been born about two weeks before I got back, who didn't even have a chance to meet. I hadn't seen my parents. And then right after I got home, everyone was ordered to stay, stay at home. So I, I literally couldn't leave my, my apartment other than to go to work. That was very isolating. So going from this very social, atmosphere when i've been traveling you know staying in hostels and meeting people from from all over the world and you know in the back of my mind thinking that you know it will be nice when i eventually go home and catch up with all these friends and family that i've not seen for such a long time and then it was just the complete opposite experience you know i was, I was thrust into a very strange environment full of um i suppose uncertainties so yeah it was a bit of a, a distressing time You know, one of the worst things was not knowing what was going to happen. You know, there was no time frame for how long these conditions were going to last. Um, And I think it was three months before I was then able to actually meet up with anyone. So, uh, yeah, that had a bit of an impact um, on my life, obviously. You know, work has been completely turned upside down. Working in hospitals now feels very different to how it did before. For a start, like, it's just simple things. So for a start, everyone's now wearing a mask. So it feels very, like, cynical, very sterile, very unpersonal, because you can't read people's facial expressions and, you know, you struggle to recognise people. Everyone has to wear scrubs. So before we could just wear, you know, smart clothes, so I'd wear a shirt and trousers and shoes to work. Um, whereas now everyone's in scrubs, you're not allowed to wear normal clothes. Infection control measures are obviously very strict, so moving around the hospital is difficult you're not allowed to go into wards where you're you're not supposed to be working you have to wear like obviously a mask and an apron and gloves to do any interactions with patients at all and you just lose that sense of closeness with patients so you know before pre-pandemic of course you'd wash your hands before you went to speak to a patient but other than that you'd you know you'd just be as you were you wouldn't have gloves on you wouldn't have a mask on unless you were doing something that you had to be sterile for, obviously, but, you know, just speaking to patients or examining them, just that, I suppose, sense of, you know, a human-to-human interaction, especially at times when patients are vulnerable or you're potentially giving them bad news. And now having to do that with a mask on and, you know, with gloves on and an apron, it just feels very sterile and it takes away some of that kind of personal touch from the job. And, you know, not to mention the fact that we're obviously or have been overwhelmed with Covid cases and you know at at one point I think we had about 10 wards in the hospital that were just full of patients with Covid. We had to expand from having two intensive care units to having five intensive care units and two high dependency units instead of the normal one. So yeah the hospital was just turned turned upside down. All the routine work was obviously cancelled so all outpatient clinic appointments were cancelled, all surgeries were cancelled that weren't essential you know, staff were redistributed around the hospital to help in areas that were then, you know, more busy. So you had people working in environments that they weren't familiar with and that was creating a lot of, you know, stress. And it was just distressing, you know, seeing uh, seeing people die in such a large scale. You know, I remember one day back in, well, it must have been late April or early, early May in 2020, you know, right at the very height of the pandemic and that, that kind of first wave, And there was one of the wards in the hospital I was working in where 40% of the patients on the ward died in one day. I mean, it was just, it was like the stuff of, you know, horror film. It was awful. That is difficult to deal with at the best of times, but let alone when you're then forced to go home and live by yourself and not be allowed to communicate with anyone else apart from through the internet, you know? Yeah, very, very emotionally difficult at times. Yeah, personally, it's been a lifeline, I think, for, For a lot of people, you know, being completely unable to to leave your home, the only way you could communicate was by video call or text or phone call. And I can't even imagine how awful it would have been if we didn't have access to any of those things. So I think that was a real lifeline for people and made what was a a dreadful situation just a little bit more bearable. Work-wise, it's been obviously very useful for certain things. So a lot of the kind of routine work that we would have normally done like outpatient clinic appointments started happening via phone calls or video calls and then also a rather grim use for it was very early on in the pandemic we had a very strict no visitors policy in hospitals so regardless of circumstances people were not allowed to visit at all often the only way people could say goodbye to their dying relatives was via a phone call or a video call there was more instances than i could count of people saying goodbye to their dying relative on an iPad there's there's two ways to look at it I suppose technology has made that possible because the alternative is that they just wouldn't have been able to say goodbye but it's not really it's not really a fitting way to say goodbye to a loved one in my opinion fortunately we did relax the visitor policy kind of later in the pandemic so from about October onwards, we started saying that if your relative was dying you could come and visit them in the hospital but then you would have to isolate for two weeks after you'd been. So that made it a bit more humane in my opinion. I suppose at the time the technology was better than nothing. It was the day that we all started getting offered vaccines. So I remember we there was an announcement that the Pfizer vaccine had essentially been proven to be effective or very effective in the phase three clinical trial and I think, I can't remember the exact date that that was announced but it was sometime in late November I think from memory and in my head I thought oh it's probably going to be several months before you know it gets regulatory approval and they start manufacturing it on a big enough scale that you know they can start distributing it and I thought that it would yeah as I say probably be several months before uh, we'd start getting vaccinated. And then, to my surprise, I was working. I was working a set of night shifts um, in kind of the middle of December. I remember I woke up from my, like my sleep during the day and looked at my phone, and I had an email from one of my one of my bosses, um, basically saying, "Can you urgently contact me because we've got some vaccine appointments available, um, and we need to vaccinate everyone that's working in the high risk areas." And at the time I was working a lot on our, our COVID high dependency unit. And I was just, uh, I suppose, full of, filled with optimism because um, it was probably a time when we were at one of our lowest points in the pandemic in terms of how we were managing to deal with it in the hospital because we were full of patients with COVID. And um, that was the time when we had all our intensive care units open. We were seeing people die every day. It was before we really had a lot of the treatments that we have now. Just that feeling of, oh, my God, the the solution to the problem is finally here in terms of the vaccine. It was just really, um, yeah, really overwhelming. You know, it really filled me with a sense of of hope. So that's probably the day that stands out most for me. Um, I just remember reading that email and being like, oh, my God, the vaccine is actually here.
0: Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it. Because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.